I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. All right. What is up, guys? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope everyone is having a great Monday so far. Whenever you are listening to this, I always forget that people listen all throughout the week. Uh, Anyways, I am back with another health and wellness guest. You all love just strictly based off of numbers and engagement, anything to do with a nutritionist, talking all things gut health, doesn't matter what it is. Once you all see health and wellness, it does really well. So I thought, why not keep bringing on those type of guests? And I actually met her through another guest, which is how I meet a lot of my uh, guests on the podcast through a lot of referrals. And I have Abby King on the podcast. She is the owner and founder of Bliss Point Nutrition. She's also a certified nutrition specialist with a master's of science in nutrition and integrative health and a nutrition-focused chef. The coolest thing about Abby's story is that she was a D1 athlete who suffered from a lot of gut-related issues, a lot of digestive health issues, and she found nutrition or she likes to say nutrition found her and it was something that I really connected to because we both had that very much go-getter intense athlete mentality and she touches on it a lot in the episode but it's just so interesting to see how she pivoted from that masculine energy and eating all the protein that she was getting as a D1 athlete and the diet that she was consuming, which was very similar to that of a male athlete, which I think is super interesting as well. So we talk about, I kind of just spoiled half of the episode, um, but we talk about all things being an athlete, how she transferred that mindset into nutrition and what really made her pivot in that direction. We talk a lot about gut health. We probably spend 15 to 20 minutes on gut health, the importance of gut health, What are some signs if you are struggling with your gut or things that you can look out for if you feel in your gut, LOL, uh, no pun intended there, that something is off and then also how you can begin to heal your gut in some tactical ways that you can get to the other side. We also round out the episode with a little bit on spirituality and how she went down that path and the importance of slowing down to ultimately get ahead in life. So Abby is on the other side. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, obviously you fell in love with it if you went to college for it. When did the when did the love kind of come through in high school? Yeah, I would say definitely more like middle school, high school, once I kind of started playing more competitively. Um, and I definitely had a natural talent and athleticism. So I think that made it easier for me to kind of grow and and continue, continue to enjoy it a lot more. Um, but yeah, it kind of my relationship with it, I think changed a lot over the years. At first, it was kind of just something that I was doing. And then I started to enjoy it for a lot of different reasons, the the passion, the com- the competition and the friendships too, because oh, yeah. that was kind of where I spent all my time. Um, and then kind of moving into college, I think it really changed to like the mindset piece um, and how much I saw that reflecting in other areas of my life too. What do you mean by mindset piece? It's kind of one of those things I, I describe it to people is it's like a, when you're playing division one sports, it's something you kind of don't 
understand until you're in it. Yeah. And so you go from kind of the situation in high school where you're if you're playing in college, you're probably one of the, you know, top players in your area type of thing. And um, and then all of a sudden you go from being a big fish in a little pond to a small fish in a big pond. And so I think a lot um, I relied in my younger years a lot on my athleticism, my natural talent. And once I got to the college level, that had to change a lot. And I really had to learn the discipline and putting in the extra time. And the, you kind of, it took it to a whole nother level in that my physical body wasn't going to be enough. I had to actually kind of develop the the grit, the mindset, the hard work aspect of it a little bit more in those years. Um, and I think that that mindset is something that I've taken to other areas of my life. I'm kind of always looking at things through the lens of sports now um, and of what I developed in those years. So yeah, I think that's been, that's been huge for me. I didn't go and do D1 sports. So I'm not going to pretend like I was in your situation, (laughs) but I think all athletes can attest to like a sense of identity that you have when you're in a sport. How did you balance that after being a D1 athlete in college and then moving on and not being an athlete anymore like what are some things that you maybe had to walk through in your life to overcome that because it's super common for successful entrepreneurs to either have a background in fitness or kind of walk through that challenge and it's hard to like overcome it mentally of like I lost a part of myself when I stopped playing soccer yeah um I think that was a really interesting transition for me I would say that I kind of, at the time when I stopped playing, I had planned on playing another year, like a a fifth year, basically is what I had due to uh, my situation freshman year, but I ended up tearing my ACL. Um, So I ended up kind of having that journey cut off a little bit sooner than I expected. And so all of a sudden I had planned on taking another semester, but I was like graduating in May. I was looking for a job. I was kind of figuring out my next steps. And at that time, I had already kind of developed uh, an interest in nutrition, in cooking. And so I kind of immediately... I would say like shifted my passion almost. I was like, okay, now I have to find this new identity. But I kind of, I would say, uh, because soccer or sports at this level is something that kind of encompasses your whole life. I would say that I dove into cooking and nutrition in that same exact way. Mm -hmm. And while that's great for learning and developing skills, it can also be a little bit imbalanced in kind of that work life. Uh, type of aspect. So um, I immediately, I was working in kitchens while getting my master's degree. And so I kind of had the same type of schedule in that I was doing school all the time. I was reading books on nutrition. I was cooking at home. I was cooking at work. And almost, I think when you're in that that high level competition Mm -hmm. for so long, you get used to that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of took that imbalance and applied it to my my life afterwards, I think, for quite a while, if that makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned something to me before this interview that I think is super important. When you were a D1 athlete, you had some digestive issues and you said that nutrition chose... I did not choose nutrition. Nutrition chose me. What do you mean by that statement for the audience? 
I think this is something that's actually come up a lot for me, even in the last week. But even growing up when I was really young, I had tons of digestive issues, specifically in that like I would get sick a lot, like food poisoning or um, even just like going out to eat with people, everything, everyone would eat the same thing. And somehow I would end up sick or kind of a lot of different stuff like that. And that continued. And I would say manifested itself a lot throughout my soccer career with just different symptoms, um, bloating, kind of indigestion type of stuff. And I think that the high level sports can be a contributing factor of that. But I guess the reason that I word it that way is that throughout my whole life, I kind of don't feel like I had that much of a choice. I always had to be careful of what I was eating, even growing up. And while I would say in my younger years, even through high school, I wasn't super concerned with nutrition. It just like wasn't really on my mind. I think once I was put in that situation where high level performance was required all the time, I realized, okay, this is another way that I can optimize mm-hmm. my performance without training more, without, you know, doing anything that's directly related to soccer. Um, and I found that I had such a huge shift when I made that change. And so it almost just kind <laughs> of, I feel like, because I had to make those adjustments and find the foods that did work for me, it kind of made an easy transition into this career. What were some of the first shifts or changes that you made early on that you feel made a bigger difference, especially in your long-term health? Yeah. When I think back to that time when I kind of like I wasn't happy with my performance. I wasn't happy with how I was feeling. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to try and start like, quote, eating healthy. And, you know, that looks different for everyone. So I started like going on Pinterest and looking up healthy recipes. And I immediately did know that if I was going to try to be healthier, I was going to have to learn how to cook. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really know much about cooking at that time. I knew basics, but I was, you know, in college, (laughs) kind of just like doing, doing whatever you making whatever you make at that time. And so I would say the the biggest few things, and I, I hesitate to say exactly what I did, but I will for the sake of, of this conversation. Um, at that time, I pretty much cut out gluten and dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I hesitate to say that is because I don't think that that has to be the path for everyone. For specifically the issues that I was dealing with, it happened to work really well um, because of kind of that gut piece of the puzzle. And I also had athletic induced asthma. And as soon as I had, I think it was probably three, four months after I had made these dietary changes, um, I I never had another asthma attack during a game or during practice. So I immediately noticed not only that I was dealing with less of the gut issues, the inflammation, but also that my performance was drastically improving. and besides just the, you know, those two more labels of what I changed with my diet, I would say the biggest thing was that I was reducing the amount of uh, refined sugar and processed foods that I was eating. I think that that was like a, the, a big first step. And then starting to eat more fruits and vegetables and whole foods. I think yeah. that that was the, the biggest, you know, probably thing that that made a huge difference at that time. Something that I feel is super interesting about your story when we first talk was you mentioned a few things, but when you think athletes, you think, oh, they're given 
all the nutrition guidelines. They're given opportunity to eat all of these healthy things and they're at a different level or we look at them like, oh, they're an exception to the rule because they have access to more than the normal person. But you said something to me that there's kind of a one size fits all mentality, especially in D1 collegiate sports. Like it was very masculine energy. I want you to elaborate on that for the audience because I think it's super important for people to realize that being a female in in college sports, like there are times, and this is something that I've carried in, like that masculine energy in you kind of comes out and it plays mm-hmm. a role in what you're eating and what you're attracting. So I want you to touch on that from your standpoint. Yeah. So with the one size fits all approach, I think it was very much that we, you know, we had a nutritionist for our team, but, or for, for the sports department, we had recommendations of what we were supposed to be eating. And they're all going to be, you know, your very basic, like protein after practice and getting your, you know, the big, getting enough carbs before games and things like that, which is great. You know, that's all foundational. But at that time, I really felt like the food that I was being given and the food that I was consuming was very much for that of like a football player. And Give an example of like what you were eating. I I think the biggest thing that I that I still think of is having like multiple of those Gatorade like protein shakes after each practice. And like I Ooh. get protein is extremely important, like for sure. But at that time, like I was not only putting on muscle, I was putting on just weight. Like I didn't feel as agile. I didn't feel like my body felt heavy. And I think that that was, you know, a big, a big part of it for me. And then thinking about kind of the whole piece with women's hormones and understanding how our bodies handle stress differently at different phases of our cycle. So what's going to work for a male athlete is so, or a male football player, for example, is going to be so different than what works for a female soccer player. And so that's kind of what inspired a lot of, of my starting to dive into nutrition because I was like, okay, what, what I'm being recommended is not working for me. And so what can I do to kind of, take it a bit further and find what works for my body. And that's kind of where the personalized piece comes in. Um, I think for everyone, but also for athletes. What are two of the biggest differences that you've learned in your studies and through your master's between like what a a female and a male needs in a diet and like give examples? Yeah, I think. I know it's not as black and white, but. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Um, I think the the first thing that comes to mind is amount of carbohydrates, honestly. Um, this comes up for me because I see a lot of women like who are doing the low carb thing and also exercising really heavily. And I I definitely did that for a while because again, like before I went to school, like you see things on Instagram, you see things on Google and you're like, this is, this is what's the healthiest. And um, so I think a lot of women, especially women who are in that masculine mindset, like you touched on, find themselves in kind of that loop of they're doing what the science says is going to support their health. But a lot of science is conducted on men and what works for men's bodies is not always going to be the best for female bodies. And so really, I think the, the carbohydrate piece is simple, but it's also, 
complex because it varies throughout our cycle. You know, we need more carbohydrates during our luteal and menstrual phases and because it helps reduce the stress on our nervous system. And we also need more calories at that time. And that's something like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, obviously they're always, you know, telling you to eat carbohydrates, but I think the nuances of it, um, is very, very missed. Um, in a lot of these conversations. And then the other thing is that I've talked even so far a lot about macronutrients, so protein, carbohydrates, fats. And I think that I don't think I heard like many mentions of any vitamins, minerals, micronutrients. And I think especially for athletes and especially for women, um, there's so many essential micronutrients that we need throughout our cycles to support healthy hormones. Um, And I don't think I had any understanding of that at that time or kind of the understanding of there's certain foods that are more nutrient dense. They might be the same amount of calories, but you'll get more out of them. Um, So thinking of things like, you know, getting enough zinc, iron, vitamin A, like all of these things, um, those are few hormone examples, but I don't think I understood that. I don't think that that was really communicated. And I think that that can make a huge difference in performance. When you're talking with, and we're just going to use a female because we're both females for the sake of this conversation. What's one of the biggest things that you see, whether it's a mindset or a daily habit that they're doing that they feel is quote unquote healthy, that in reality is not serving them because they're a female? I think since we're talking a lot about exercise and it seems like we have kind of similar mindset backgrounds and experiences. I would say over exercise and not utilizing exercise not looking at exercise from the context of our cycle. Okay, be more so, specific. So there's certain times in our cycle that are better to do things like cardio hit more intense um, forms of exercise, and that's during our follicular and ovulatory phases. And then there's times in our cycle where it's better to do slower movement like a Pilates or a yoga or a walking. Um, and that's where kind of the nervous system piece comes into play because when we do these really intense forms of exercise during the luteal and menstrual phases of our cycle, it can a- actually trigger the fight or flight nervous system, which then kind of forces our body or into that panic mode and it holds on to calories. Um, and so it can actually be detrimental to overexercise at those times of our cycle. And this is something that now I've experienced and experimented with quite a bit over the years um, between actually being in that situation where I was having to do intense exercise pretty much every day, day versus yeah. kind of relearning how to exercise after. Um, and I find that my body responds a lot better when I do kind of fluctuate with with my cycle versus just kind of like hitting a hard workout every single day. What does over-exercising mean to you? Mm, I think that looks different for everyone. Um, I think that we have to look at exercise in the context of someone's entire life because when... I think a lot of people don't realize that exercise is a form of stress on the body. 
And it's a good form of stress. But we also have to look at, okay, how much stress are we taking on in other areas of our life? If someone has a really stressful job and they're only sleeping six hours a night and they're not eating enough calories, which is another form of stress, and then they're doing these really intense exercises, um, you know, that's not going to be as beneficial to them, whereas someone else might, you know, have a little bit lower stress job. They might be getting good sleep, eating enough calories. So their body might have that resilience to handle a higher intensity hit workout. And so it's really, I think, looking at exercise in the context of someone's, all the aspects of someone's life versus just like one definition. Cause I think it really, and it looks different for people at different phases of their life too, I think. I there definitely was a place in my life where I felt like I was over exercising and I always felt depleted. I was in that masculine energy. And now that I've gotten older and I think I've matured obviously a lot and you become more comfortable with yourself and you're looking at it. For me, it's more of a form of therapy rather than like punishing yourself or trying to burn off calories or whatever that mindset is. I think that's a huge shift. In terms of food, I know that there's not a one size fits all, but I'm always curious when I talk to people that are in nutrition, is there a typical day of eating or a typical recommendation that you give to their clients to ensure that they're not only hitting macronutrients, but getting as much of the micronutrients as they can from food sources rather than having to go and take a bunch of supplements to get nutrients that you can get through food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if we're yeah, if we're not looking at macronutrients because there's always going to be, you know, some baseline recommendations I give there. I think the few things that come to mind are making sure that we're getting enough there's there's certain forms of protein that I would say are also more dense in vitamins and minerals, um, especially vitamins and minerals that correlate with having a healthy cycle. And so I would say for the most part, having some form of animal protein throughout the day from for most people, and I understand that there's like an ethical piece of it for sure, but I think um, in terms of micronutrients um, and getting those vitamins and minerals in, I think that's going to be the easiest way. Um, and then on another piece, I think always looking to get variety of fruits and vegetables because they all have different vitamins and minerals in them. And also the diversity of those plant foods is great for getting different antioxidants, getting different polyphenols, as well as um, supporting gut health, which is going to inadvertently increase um, the micronutrients you're getting because if you're absorbing more, you'll get more out of the food. Um, So I think those are the first few things that come to mind when you ask that question about micronutrients. Gut health, you knew where I was going. What's (laughs) the biggest thing that you learned about not only through your journey, but through your studies about the importance of having a healthy gut in your everyday life? Hmm. Uh, there's so many directions I could go with that question. Um, I think the biggest thing that comes up for me that I think a lot of people don't know and don't hear is how closely connected gut health and mood are. I Why think is that? This, 
So there's there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of connections between these two, but a large amount of our ser- of serotonin, which is kind of like that feel good neurotransmitter, is made in the gut. And then there's like a lot of other pieces with different um, species being associated with with better different mood states, as well as the absorption piece. If we're able to absorb our foods, then we're able to get the neurotransmitters we need. Um, so. And then also gut playing such a role in inflammation Um, and inflammation can kind of be indirectly related to mood. And so I think that that's one of the the biggest things I've seen with with my journey with gut health. I can tell when my gut is off a lot of times by how I'm feeling, like if I'm feeling a little down or I wake up feeling anxious, so anxious. So for me, that's become like a huge marker. And I think a lot of people just don't realize that that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to definitely bring that up. But there's, I mean, there's so many <laughs> things that you can talk about with gut health. And um, yeah, it kind of affects every area of the body. So yeah, we'll spend like a good chunk of time here because I do think it's super important. What are outside, you just mentioned one, which I think is how you're feeling. But for someone that's maybe not as in tune with their gut, what are two or three signs that their gut health isn't at full optimization? I think bloating is one that comes up Mm. for a lot of people. Um, That can be for a variety of of different things. But I think especially, I think that also relates a lot to to stress for Mm. a lot of people. Um, So that's one I always like to bring up. Um, I would say that energy definitely plays a role like energy levels throughout the day especially if you're getting tired after meals um that can be blood sugar but it can also be gut related um and so i think that that's kind of a a miss a one that we miss a lot um i'm trying to think of the third thing that i would mm, skin Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it's it's hard because there's so many yeah. so many connections. Um, but definitely that's something that I have seen throughout my journey and with many clients as well. Um, if if you're someone that's struggled with acne and had that as kind of part of your journey, and I think a lot of people immediately go to topical things, um, which are great and obviously very supportive. And I have nothing against, you know, skincare, but I I have noticed that for me personally and for a lot of people that I've worked with, that fixing kind of the more internal root cause of what's causing the acne is is a lot um you make a lot more headway a lot faster, I would say. What are some of the biggest root causes of abnormal gut health, whether it's certain foods that trigger people or, I mean, obviously there's not like keep it high level, but are there certain things? I know for me, like eggs was a big one that I learned. Like it just didn't digest well. It affects my skin, my digestive health. So that was one thing that I learned, but are there a few that you've noticed with yourself and your clients are like, Hey, these are things that could potentially be negatively impacting your gut health, then triggering other symptoms. Yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest thing, like the all encompassing big thing I think that comes up is like processed foods versus whole foods. Um, if you're eating a majority of a whole foods diet, you're inherently going to have a better gut health without doing anything else. 
Um, and so I think that that's where we we run into a lot of issues. So if I'm working with someone, they're having you know, trouble with their gut, we're always going to look to make that shift first before like removing any one food group. Um, and then I think what you brought up with the specific foods is really interesting because I've, I see a lot of people who have done like an online intolerance test, um, for certain foods, you know, um, and so they'll a lot of times get back this really long list of like 15 different foods that they're intolerant to. And a lot of times it's not necessarily those foods that they're intolerant to, but it's that they have so much inflammation and they're dealing with leaky gut that they're not tolerating or absorbing many foods at all. And so I think that that's like with people saying like, I'm intolerant to certain foods. I think that there's a, a a lot to unpack there in that maybe if we figure out what's causing the inflammation in your gut first, then and do kind of like a whole protocol to restore and get back your good gut flora and remove any, you know, opportunistic species that might be causing issues and, you know, all the things that go into that. Yeah. Um, after a while, you might actually be able to tolerate those mm-hmm. foods. And so I think that's definitely something that I saw in my experience as well. Um, Like I mentioned that I cut out gluten and dairy. Um, And after kind of going through this whole process of healing my gut, I am now able to tolerate um, dairy, not as much gluten, but that's again, like a personal. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that one's like very, there's definitely a spectrum, I think, with gluten. Um, so, but I also think that the quality of the food matters. So I've found that I don't really tolerate conventional dairy very, very well still. And I also notice more breakouts with that versus if I have like a raw dairy or an A2 dairy, for me, that's worked really well. And so I think it's kind of, it, it's challenging to say that there's certain foods that cause issues, but it's really kind of looking at that person and where they're at in their journey with their gut. Um, because someone's gut when they're in that state of inflammation can be so different than, you know, three years down the line once they've done all that work. Um, and so I think that's really important to keep in mind because our gut microbiome is can change pretty quickly. So it's kind of really that like fluid and complex system, which does make it challenging to work with. (laughs) I think that's why there's so many obviously opinions and like everyone's entitled to opinion, but I think that's where people can get overwhelmed with information is that there's not a one size fits all. And some people are looking for a quick fix and obviously everybody is different, but every single nutrition I've talked to, like if you're sticking with whole foods for the most part, you're going to put yourself in a better situation. And what whole foods mean is, I mean, what's in your eyes, like as a nutritionist, when you mean whole foods, like what does that mean for someone that's like, hey, I want to take a step in that direction, but I don't even know what whole foods means besides the store that has a green, a green logo. Yeah, I think like the first thing I'll always say is like, okay, can you, is it one ingredient? Like sweet potato, that's a whole food. There's one ingredient, you know? Um, but then taking it because, you know, it's it's challenging to eat only like 
vegetable, you know, vegetable yeah. foods or meat or things like that, because sometimes, you know, it's a convenience uh, yeah. piece. And so when I were looking at something that is in a package, I always like recommend, you know, like looking at the label, looking at the ingredient list, can you pronounce all the ingredients? Can you recognize what they are? Because then at least it's still whole to an extent. Mm. Yes, it's a mixture of those foods. It's been processed, which we can't, but at to a certain extent, you're still recognizing everything that you're putting in your body. Um, and so kind of just looking at it as a rule of thumb, can we eat majority those foods? Um, cause I think that's the biggest piece too, for people is you don't have to be perfect. It's just, what are you doing most of the time? And that's going to be the determinant in your long-term health. What's the biggest misconception about gut health from your point of view? That it can be fixed with just supplements. <laughs> Ooh, why is that? I'm not a um, supplement girl, so I like where this is going. Yeah, and and I have nothing against supplements. I think that they're a great tool, but I think a lot of times now where a lot of people are starting to look at supplements the same way that we look at medication. So if I take this one thing, it's going to fix the symptom that I'm experiencing. And I just think that gut health is a lot more complicated than that. And I definitely like believe that supplements are a key part in a lot of gut healing protocols. Like it's very challenging to do that completely whole food, especially if someone has like overgrowths or parasites or things like that. Yeah. But the food piece, I think really, really comes um, into play with two in two parts. One, it's reducing that inflammation. So if we're taking these supplements to support our gut health, but we're continually consuming super pro-inflammatory foods, you know, there's, we're only going to make so much headway. And the same goes for the healing after supplements. A lot of gut health is feeding the good bacteria. And a lot of that is colors, fibers, fruits, and vegetables. And you can't get, you know, I mean, you can take a fiber supplement, but it's a lot easier to just eat some, some veggies, I think, versus I think we just over rely on them a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, so yeah. It's a lot simpler. And that's been my favorite part about learning more about healthy nutrition is that it's really a lot simpler. But I think social media and big pharma and all of these big businesses that are always throwing band-aid or quick fixes at you make you think that you need these when in reality, if you just focus on what the earth is giving you. And I know you live in San Diego. We're about to go down a woo-woo track. But for me, it's like once (laughs) I started focusing on just like whole foods from the earth. I didn't need, to your point about asthma, like I have asthma. I still have pretty bad asthma, but I was born with it versus yours seemed like it was, it it was a little bit of a different situation, but my acne got so much better. My asthma got better. I mean, I do, I am on allergy shots, but I do feel that my Mm -hmm. overall digestion got better. Like there's just so many things that once you start focusing on that whole not plant-based, but for me, just like plant-focused. I still eat meat. I still have bacon, but like making sure that I'm getting in those earthy ingredients really has changed my entire life by just focusing on that. 
Yeah. And I think you touched on a really important point is that like, that should be like, it's, it's a lot simpler than yeah. we make it out to be. So it's always people thinking like, I need to have this, some like magical, like, mm -hmm. you know, thing that I saw on TikTok. And really it's like, okay, let's make sure we're doing these, these simple foundational things first. And then maybe we're going to try the supplement over here, but it shouldn't be the like first step in any, any healing or protocol. What's two steps in order, like the first step and the second step for someone that's listening to this that maybe is having signs of their bloating, maybe their digestion isn't where the way that it'd be, they're thinking maybe something is wrong with their gut. What are the first two things that you would tell them to do that are relatively inexpensive or something that they could do tomorrow to execute and be on a better path? I think... When you said bloating, the first thing that, cause I think that's really common. The first thing that I'll always have someone try before we get into any of even the science or digging into what it is, is trying to either do like a digestive bitters or apple cider vinegar, like a teaspoon of it in a small amount of water before meals. Um, a lot of people due to stress levels have reduced uh, digestive capacity because they aren't creating um, hydrochloric acid in their stomach or creating digestive enzymes from their pancreas. Due, a lot of times it's due to stress. It can be due to other things as well. Um, so I find that a lot of people struggle with like bloating and symptoms like that just due to having the reduced digestive capacity. So those things, the digestive bitters is going to stimulate the release of digestive enzymes. Um, apple cider vinegar is going to be similar, not quite as potent, but it it's something people, a lot of people have. So if someone doesn't want to go out and buy a product, I feel like that's like the kind of first step. Um, so I'll have them try that and just see how that affects them if they notice any difference. And then I think it's challenging. I want to say like increased diversity of fruits and veggies um, and fiber, but for certain people um, that can actually, if they're certain types of IBS or SIBO, sometimes that can actually adding more fiber can cause more symptoms. Yeah. So I would say that would vary based on the person. Um, I also go to like having some type of like bone broth or collagen because a lot of times with the inflammation piece, um, you need that they both support soothing that lining mm -hmm. of like your, your stomach and your small intestine. So sometimes that support is going to be helpful. And then after I said those things, I'm like, Oh, I think chewing your food's another one. <laughs> Do people a lot swallow of people, it whole? A lot of people, I mean, they don't swallow it whole, but we we're supposed to chew our food. I think it's something like 30 to 40 times. Um, and most people are probably maybe around eight to 10. Um, so that can cause a lot of, uh, digestive, like reduced absorption and bloating and things like that for a lot of people. And that's like completely free. It just requires sitting down and, and yeah. doing it, which is a challenge in itself for sure. Um, but that's a really simple one that I think it's kind of more of an eating hygiene versus mm -hmm. what we're eating, but it's really important. Wow, that's interesting. In terms of a probiotic, do you recommend that people take a probiotic? If the answer is yes, what is one that you recommend for a majority of people? I'm a C girl. 
You're okay. Um, I, I like seed. I do like that. I like um, Organic Olivia has a really great probiotic okay. that I love and I've recommended to a lot of people. And then there's one, it's Microbiome Labs. It's like Mega Spore. Um, I, yeah, I think it's called Megaspore. Um, but those I would say are like probably the three that I would use most commonly. I also do for a lot of people who might not be as gut focused, but just want to add a little bit of that support. I think fermented foods are another great option. That's a lot more, it's more cost effective Mm -hmm. for certain people. So if they're not wanting to invest in a supplement or I have certain people who really want to focus on food and don't really want to do any supplements. So we'll do probiotics foods for them. So like a sauerkraut, kimchi, and kefir, I would say are probably my favorites um, because they're lower sugar options. Um, But yeah, I do recommend probiotics to quite a few clients. And then sometimes we'll do more specific strains um, because depending on what what symptoms they might be dealing with, certain strains of probiotics are are better than others. So, um, but yeah, those are probably the three that come to mind. Okay, perfect. I can put that in the show notes. And we're going to bring this whole episode together. I know we just focused uh, the last 30, 40 ish minutes on food and gut health, but you said something to me that resonated a lot with where I'm at in my life and something that I feel this season really had me focus on. You said that you were doing everything with food, but the real shift came when you focused more on your nervous system and Mm -hmm. spirituality. What do you mean by that for the audience? Because I think this, it's not just one half. There's a whole second half to it that I think sometimes we leave out that is just as important as the nutrition. I agree. Um, So at the beginning of the episode, I touched on kind of that after playing soccer, I moved into that same mindset, but in life. And so, and then you touched on that. That's very kind of masculine way to, to go about um life and i think that a lot of times with nutrition and with people who have similar mindsets to it sounds like both of us um it's very like yeah exactly type a yeah yeah um it's very easy to fall into kind of making nutrition and being healthy another thing to check off the list um and it just becomes like part of like oh i'm doing everything right i'm you know and a lot of times that can actually cause more stress um whether that's exercise whether that's putting too much on your to-do list i mean i remember there was a time when i was like oh i wake up and meditate every morning but i wasn't actually getting much out of the meditation i was just wanted to say like i meditate every morning you know and so it wasn't until i started kind of working through one looking at you know these different things of my life as like why am i identifying this uh or identifying with this uh-huh. um whether that's soccer whether that's being a nutritionist where am i finding self-worth in kind of this achievement piece um and where am i putting more on my to-do list when really it can be a lot simpler um and so that you know looked a lot for me like slowing down mm. and doing less um i think for a while i was my only form of exercise was walking every morning i went on i didn't take any supplements for 
quite a few, I, probably almost a year. Um, I was really focusing on a meditation practice, mm -hmm. visualization, what I wanted my life to look like, um, both from a professional perspective, but also from a health perspective. And I really found that when I gave my nervous system that space to like slow down, regulate and actually like notice the moment around me that that was when I actually started making the most headway in terms of feeling the best that I ever had um, from both a mental and a physical perspective, especially with with gut health. I remember a, like a significant like like time where I was like, okay, like I can feel that things have shifted, that things are better. And it was really all kind of around this time when I started working on that. It's for me, it's having that athlete mindset. Like I've always been someone that, and similar to you, like I wanted to be a professional athlete. Like I wanted to go to college for sports. Like once I lost that part of me, it's just like in your DNA and it's how you're wired. And so not doing something was never part of our lives. Like when you're in sports, it's like, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, because the more you work at it, the better you're going to get. And so it's mm -hmm. a hard rewiring of slowing down. What advice do you give people for their mental state that slowing down is not going to hurt your progress, but it's going to help you get to your destination faster? I think the easiest like access point for people who are kind of in that mindset is finding something that's going to get you out of your head and into your body. Um, I think that's like a huge piece with kind of like finding that presence and like actually like stopping kind of the, the running thoughts and the constant need to do, do, do. And so for me, that looked like things like breath work, um, energy healing and specifically getting outside, mm -hmm. um, spending like e extended amounts of time outside if possible, but even just like spending an afternoon, like getting your feet in the grass or sand, things like that. Um, but I will say, I think that there's this interesting kind of shift that occurs. And it's almost like once you stop worrying about fitting everything in it becomes easier to i remember like a like it's almost like a, a flow state type of thing yeah. um and so all of a sudden because you've stopped worrying about all of those things it's just happening and it's natural and it's easy and i think that the easiest transition from one state to another um for, or from that kind of more nervous achiever state to the calmer and more present is the nervous system regulation and the getting into your body um because it almost forces you yeah um i don't know if that i forgot your question now so i don't know if that answered it no you're good <laughs> i was there an event in your life you just mentioned force, and I think a lot of people are forced into the flow state unwilling. Was there a point in your life or a moment that you were forced into this because it was really the only way forward in terms of your overall health and happiness? I think a lot of this shift in mindset came when 
I decided to start my business Mm -hmm. because I realized that if I took the same mindset that I had had with sports and with work and school afterwards into running my own business, that it was not going to be sustainable for the foreseeable future. I don't know if there was any specific moment that forced me. It was more just that I was thinking about... I was very, very focused on what I want my future Mm -hmm. to look like and creating that kind of um, picture of what I was moving towards. And when I thought about it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't working 14 hours a day. It wasn't, you know, and I remember a specific, like when I kind of started to focus on this, I was at like a park, like reading one afternoon. And I like remember sitting there and being like, oh, is this what it's like to be present? Like I was literally in this headspace of, I've never experienced this feeling before, which is really crazy because that was like not even, I mean, it was probably like a year and a half ago or something, you know, like it wasn't even long ago. And I, so I had gone through all of this like healing journey, but there's always another piece of the puzzle. And I think that the physical and nutrition and exercise is kind of that foundation mm-hmm. that then you can like build on and and move more towards the spirituality piece, the mindset piece, and kind of using it as a foundation to optimize the rest of your life. What does spirituality mean to you for someone that is teetering on the line of kind of going down this woo-woo path, as I like to call it, or getting more into that flow state? Yeah, I think spirituality is really hard to put a a definition on, I would say. And it's kind of like one of those words that gets like thrown around, I think, in a lot of different communities. Um, So yeah, I don't know if I have a specific definition of that. I think it's more kind of... Like, what does it mean in your life? I think it's super important for people to recognize like the shift that it has on people. And so when you think about spirituality and like what it's done for you, both personally and professionally, like what does that mean to you? And maybe someone else can take that with them and apply it into their own life. I think what comes up for me is that it's it's starting to question everything that you've been taught, everything that you believe about yourself and everything that you believe about the world. Because I think if that opens up a whole world of possibilities that you Mm -hmm. didn't think were there. And from there, then you kind of get to start to build the blocks of what you actually want your future to look like. It's, it's, you're, you're less stuck in like Mm -hmm. the definition of what you thought you were. Um, if that makes sense, like it's really kind of redefining yourself and understanding all of the subconscious things that have gotten you to the point of where you're at at this time, whether that's like environmental parents, the way you were raised, all of that stuff plays a role. Um, but it doesn't have to necessarily play the same role moving forward. And that you have the ability to kind of 
uh, rework a lot of that. And I think that plays a role in, in nutrition and healing too. I think that a lot of like subconscious, um, we, we hold trauma and subconscious, you know, experiences in our body. And that can be a big piece of the puzzle for a lot of people who, you know, have different chronic conditions, Mm -hmm. um, all across the spectrum. So I think that that's important to bring up in this conversation because you can, you can get a lot done with just the physical stuff. But when you open up like this whole <laughs> can of worms, cause it really is, yeah. um, it, it allows, I think you to make a lot more progress, a lot faster too. It's tuning inwards. And I think you hit the nail on the head of you're not just unlearning, but I think the biggest, the most important thing that I like, you're not listening to anyone else. You're only listening to yourself. And I think you're the only one that truly knows what you need for mm. yourself and for your health. And we can give you all the advice and we can tell you what to do, but at the end of the day, like only you know. And so that, and I asked that question because I feel like that's kind of what spirituality, it's like tuning back inwards instead of listening to the outside noise. Like obviously as a kid, you have parents, then you have siblings, then you have teachers, like you go through this. And then once you get in your twenties, you're like, okay, now it's up to me to figure it out. And I feel like spirituality is just opening up, like cracking open that nut for you to really bloom and like blossom and come into who you are a lot faster and get where you want to go a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you touched on, yeah, yeah, everything. (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing that you, a piece of encouraging words for someone that is either wanting to become healthier or maybe they're feeling a little out of balance during the holiday season? I think for someone, I mean, for both of those situations, I would say just you don't have to do everything. Just pick one small thing. Um, because I think it really snowballs once you make one healthy decision, no matter how small it is, yeah. it, it immediately increases that motivation for you to do something else. And so whether that's, you know, adding a vegetable to a meal or going for a short walk, like it can be really, really simple. And I think that that's where a lot of people get caught up is they think they have to change everything in a day. And really that's not going to work to create long-term sustainable change. So I think just picking one thing that seems possible and just trying to be consistent with that for a week, you know, just starting, I think is the biggest thing. I love that. Consistency is key, especially with your health. Where Mm -hmm. can people find you? Market yourself, give us all (laughs) the information and where can people can contact you, whether that's to work with you or just to follow you. I know you're super active on Instagram for insights and all that type of healthy knowledge. Yeah. So my Instagram is abbylouise.king. Um, I'm on TikTok. It's a lot of the same content as Instagram though. So, um, that is bliss point nutrition. And then my website is www.blisspointnutrition.com. So that's the easiest way to, I mean, Instagram is probably the easiest way to get in contact with me. Um, but my email and everything, um, is available on my website as well. Okay. Do you take online clients? I'm assuming. Yes. All my clients are online right now. Okay, perfect. So you can be wherever in the world your heart desires. Maybe you're in Tokyo right now. Who God only knows. 
Just kidding. All right. The last question I ask every single person, I appreciate your time, is what are you grateful for today, Abby? This morning, I am grateful for exercise. I feel like I my mood's been a little low the last couple of days and I exercised this morning and I immediately felt better. So that's definitely one I wrote down before this. <laughs> yeah. I am going to say I am grateful for being back in a routine. I feel like when you're away for Thanksgiving mm -hmm. and then you're out of, I'm such a structure person. I love getting okay. back into my routine, my meditations, my juice, all that type of stuff. So thank you mm -hmm. so much for being on.